Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right, so this morning we are in our Advent series and we're bringing it to an end. This is our last time being together before we go into 2020, which is pretty exciting, I think. Um, we, we did, we did uh, faith, hope, we did faith, love, joy, and now we're on hope today. And so I'm going to do a little remix or whatever with hope and faith as far as the sermon topic for today. Um, and so if I was going to call it this sermon anything this morning, I would probably call it 2020 vision, right? And the reason I would call it that is because it's just 2020, and I think everybody's been waiting for the past 10 years to use the, the phrase 2020 vision somewhere. I always, in my mind, I'm like, there has to be a marketing campaign for 2020 vision somehow in my life. But the problem is every single business in the world is using the phrase 2020 vision. So I'm just using it for this this sermon, right? So 2020 vision. So today I'm going to talk about faith and I'm going to talk about um, hope. And my my hope this morning is that I'm just going to encourage you to go into your 2020 just ready to kind of lean into Jesus, right? Um, we're kicking off a uh, campaign, which will look like it'll be a preaching series next week. Pastor Rodney will start that off, and it's called Rooted, but it's literally a campaign that our church is going to lean into probably for next year or two, and the concept of it is based off of Colossians 2.7, which tells you to be rooted and established in your faith in Christ Jesus. And so the point of it is basically we're asking the church, like, what does it look for you to be rooted in Christ? What does it look like to be rooted in his church? What does it look like to be rooted in his community, right? And so, of course, the first thing is Christ, because Christ will lead you to the other stuff. But, like, the most important thing for us, I know our 2020 will be crazy lit if we get rooted in Jesus. Do y'all admit? Do y'all agree with that? We get more Jesus than we doing good, Right? We believe Jesus more. We have more faith in Jesus than, than we do in good shape, right? We're in good shape. And so the vision of the church for the Ville Church is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church treasured in our neighborhood. This doesn't happen without faith and hope. And these are things that God gives us through Jesus, right? And so when we talk about faith and hope, you see, you hear the words interchange all the time when people are are preaching or, or even in the Bible, the way you may read it sometimes if you don't know what they are definitionally, but they're basically sisters. You ever dated somebody with a twin? Nah, me neither. But like, you know how it goes. Like, you know, you could be like talking to somebody or something, or like just imagine it. You're talking to somebody and like, you think they look really, really good, and then their brother pops up and it's their twin and it looks just like them. And you just kinda like, messed it up for me. Cause you know what I'm saying? You get where I'm coming from? So y'all ain't with me this morning. I told you I'm a little loopy or whatever. I've been sick, y'all gotta roll with me today. All right, so basically when we talk about faith and hope, they have the same face, but it's like one has like, you know, braids and the other one has a natural. You know what I'm saying? One has natural, one has a perm. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Y'all need to wake up this morning a little bit. Come on, man, get it popping. All right? Faith, from what the Bible shows us, is a now thing, right? It's a now thing. Hope is a future thing. Hope is about what we actually believe, and it actually perpetuates faith, right? So if you have hope in something, then it perpetuates faith, which is actually how you respond and how you lean in. For instance, if you see somebody who's like, yeah, I'm about this right here, I'm going to be starting this business, and you don't see them doing anything, you're going to say, I don't think you have really faith in that thing you're talking about because I don't see you doing anything. Y'all get where I'm coming from? 
So that thing that they have hope in is not perpetuating faith. I just want us to know what we are actually dealing with. And so I looked up a definition for hope, and it said this right here. It says, hope is commonly used to mean a wish. It's the sh- Its strength is the strength of the person's desire. But in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in this faithfulness. So it's halfway right. Hope for believers for us is actually not a wish. It is actually this confident, 100% surety and certainty in the word of God, the promises of God. Y'all with me so far? Our fleshly use of the word is in doubt which we all do or whatever. We'll say, like, I wish that, I wish it doesn't, I hope it doesn't rain, you know what I'm saying? Or something like that. That doesn't mean, like, we're hoping that it goes a good way that we would like for it to go, but we don't have any certainty that is actually going to happen. But when it comes to interacting with the Word of God, the promises of God, Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is to us, we are saying when we talk about having our hope in Christ Jesus, we're talking about certainty, Right? And as goes the certainty of our hope, goes the certainty of our faith, of our stand, our our proclamation, our commitment, our attendance, our brotherly and sisterly love, our biblical affection, our giving, our contriteness, our joy, our love, our peace. That's why it's such an important word. Y'all with me so far? If you don't have certainty in these things, then you kind of get knocked all over the place. Y'all with me? King Solomon said this right here. He says, for the hope of the ungodly is like dust that is blown away with the wind, like a thin froth that is driven away with the storm, like as the smoke which is dispersed here and there with the tempest and passeth away as the remembrance of a guest that tarrieth but a day. He's saying it's like a memory. Like it's just like something that just floats by really, really quick. It's not sure. It's not certain. It's not in place. And so this is the thing I want to kind of dig out, dig at today, because I believe one of the things that the church is facing today, um, our church, any other church, believers in, in, in general, is the attack on our faith, on our hope, the certainty of the word of God, right? Because if you remove that, then you begin to remove a lot of things. You remove our togetherness within the body. You, you remove the power that we actually have which is based in the work of Jesus Christ, you begin to, he begins to try to erode our faith. And Solomon, is, in his wisdom, is saying, it's like dust that is blown away, right? So I don't know about you, often when I'm like ministering to people or I'm sharing, you're usually arm wrestling because in, in ministering to them, you're, really, you're usually arm wrestling against some object of their hope that is actually false. You get where I'm coming from? So it's like, yeah, that sounds good, but you know, I just really feel that you know, if I'm good, and I really, you know what I'm saying, do right by other people. You ever heard people say that? You know, if you just love people, do right by other people, then you know, I believe God, you know, he's good, so he's gonna be good with me. Sounds pretty awesome. It's just simply not true. But it can get true if Satan keeps eroding at your faith in what you believe about the Bible, because then you replace the surety of the word with this idea that gets blown in the wind. Y'all with me so far? So 2020 is not going to be lit if we holding on to dust as a, for our hope. Y'all get where I'm coming from? All right. It isn't a wish. It's a confident expectation of what God has promised. 
And when we believe, it begins to paint what our faith looks like, how we actually live, right? I just want to give you a, an example of it. Our hope is rooted in certainty, but it's rooted in God's faithfulness, and it's rooted in Jesus. And so when I think about, like, for instance, when I go on a trip, um, I'm 100% sure that Lana's going to take care of the kids. I'm, I'm sure that the kids are going to be okay, right? I just know that they are because of her track record, her faithfulness. I just know that's going to happen. I don't even sit and, 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 and dance with that and wonder or, or sit around distressed about it. Now, my son Angel, I love him. I love him. But if you leave him with the kids at the crib, you might come back and have the houses up. You know, you get where I'm coming from? He's, a, he's amazing, but I'm just saying his track record's a little crazy. Right? Does, does that sound like wisdom? But like in our flesh, this flesh that we have on us that has a craving to undermine the things of God, it will literally take the faithfulness of God and it will undermine and sweep the legs from un up under it. It can't truly do it, but in our mind and in our heart it will. Our idolatry will actually do that. This is important for us to know that because we need to know this by, by ourselves because it creates this, it creates a poorness inside of us and this poorness where we actually need God, where we find them as our riches. We, the the self-confidence that lies to us that says, this is sure, even though it's not God, it's what's looking to slit our throat. Y'all get where I'm coming from? When I, um, often when I'm counseling like people, whatever, like and when I'm talking about counseling, I'm more so talking about, um, you know, just life stuff or whatever. When I get people and they're like, oh, I'm just in this blah place or whatever, and I'm trying to like figure out like, you know, what, you know, I want to do with my life. I just feel like I don't have a thing that I want to do and stuff or whatever. Um, I asked them this question, and I've asked y'all this before or whatever. I would tell you to play along with me, but I don't want you to play along because then you'll be sidetracked the whole sermon thinking about the idol of money or whatever, right? But, like, I often will ask people, I'll say, yeah, you know, so you don't feel like you know what you want to do or what you love, what you like, none of this stuff, whatever. And then I'll ask them, I'll go, well, if I give you $500 million, give you $500 million right now, what would you do with it, you know? And so then I ask them and they start running through their stuff or whatever and whatnot. Any of y'all ever played like the lottery and you think you're gonna hit? Like, you know, you start like already, you're like, yo, I'm about to ball out, whatever, and this and that. You on Nike.com already, like getting your cart ready and stuff, whatever. But like, people, it, it, what I'm doing in that situation is I'm replacing people's object or hope or inputting a object of hope, so to speak, right? It's, a, it, it's, it's this thing where they're like, yeah, if I, if there was $500 million coming, then I imagine I would actually move and live like this right here. This is what I would actually lean into and give my time to. They're actually starting to begin to dance with this idea of faith in something, but it's still not certain. Because $500 million is nothing compared to the promises of Christ. It will not hold. We see people with $500 million jump off of bridges all the time right? We see it create their damnation. We see it lead them into their own idolatry and their own vices all the time. So it's still not sure. It's not the cross. It's just money. 
It's just one of those things that Solomon is saying. It's just dust that's going to blow away in the wind. Something I want to read to you. It's Hebrews 10, 19, 19 through 25. This scripture right here, it talks about the assurance of faith. And when it talks about it, this is usually not a scripture I would hit for this particular topic, but I hate it because to me it, it paints a picture, right? Paul says this right here. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, he's saying since we have faith, since we have Jesus Christ, since we have the promises and everything that comes with Christ, eternity, right? Since, since we have justification, justification, since the atonement of sure, since the wrath of God has been moved from us, since our sins and our wretchedness have been removed from us, and we have been given, given holiness, we have been given the title of royal priesthood because we are now be called, called sons in light of all of that. That's what he's saying in the statement. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence that we can actually hope and believe in these things, is what he's saying, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I want to dance with this scripture a little bit and, and unpack it. But let's just jump to verse 24 to the very, excuse me, 25 to the very end. He rounds up this statement, this piece right here, and he says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hope, future hope, is functional for us as Christians. It does something to our faith in the now, right? But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the, the day drawing near. That day that he is talking about is the day when the promises of God are fully made clear to us, fully realized. You understand? So I just want you to think about it for, for a second, because I, um, one of the things that happens with my condition with my back and the pain that I live in from day to day is that it makes me have to, well, by the grace of God, it causes me to actually kind of tango with hope often, right? Because the pain is so severe that is constantly telling my flesh that you can't do more, you can't move, what's coming in the future for you by way of your health is gonna be hellish. It's gonna be too, it's gonna overrun you, right? That's what the enemy whispers. But the gospel is always saying, you got a new body coming. It's always saying that God sees your pain, he weeps with you, but in his promise, he's going to wipe away all the tears one day. Y'all with me so far? 
it actually, it's a future hope that is functionally empowering me in the moment. You understand where I'm coming from? So Paul, when he's, when he's encouraging the believers in this text right now, and he's seeing people getting picked off in the schemes of the enemy, he talks in some of the texts about super apostles coming with all their flash and all their games, trying to lure away people from the gospel and the true word of God. He's pointing them also to this future hope. When, when we look at the world, you know, this morning I was um, inside a bowl bean, and this lady who I'm friends with, I just happened to meet her because we're always sitting at the same table and stuff. She, um, she leans over to me and she's like, hey, Jay, you know, um, I want you to listen to this song or whatever, right? And she passes me her earbuds. And so, of course, I grab them and look at her ears to check them. How are you living? Is this safe? Because I just thought it was weird, right? I'm just keeping it real. I thought it was weird, but I was just like, Meanwhile, she must have checked my ears, and she thinks I'm good to go. Okay, so anyway, right? But like, I know a little bit of her story, super sweet lady, um, and has suffered some abuse in the church, right? And she gives me this song from this, uh, this group called Monsters of the Fold. Does anybody know Monsters of the Fold? Man, this joint was rocking. I know she. I didn't know what she had on the earbuds over there. I saw her grooving, doing her work, but this joint was rocking. But it's this song called "Dear God," and I know she knows I'm a minister and stuff, or whatever. And I believe that she gave it to me to kind of like throw this kind of question at me. But in the song, they asked the question like, "Why do we suffer?" Right? And I think a lot of people ask those questions or whatever, right? But the answer to the question is this: We suffer because of our sin. Plain and simple. We just have a hard time seeing ourselves as the abuser. Right? Like, we look at the sins of the world like that other thing over there or whatever, and like these people over there. But like in our little spaces, I can't stand working for a tyrant. But I bet you if you did a survey, my kids would probably say, Dad, you can be a tyrant. I don't want to eat that one. But the truth is the truth. And we got God's mercy and the blood of Jesus for the truth. Right? This future hope, this present salvation, this eternal salvation, it deals with all of this grievous stuff that we look at from day to day, right? It's meant for us to actually look at the futility of the world and go, he saw it, he handled it, he died for it. He's going to pick this thing up like a blanket and lay a whole new game down. You get where I'm coming from? It actually gives us power in the moment, even though it's a future hope. It creates that power in the moment. It's the faith. That's why Paul's talking like this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen to what he says. He gives these things. Let us draw near. He's basically saying, let's get rooted, right? Let's, 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 let's lean in. In light of what Christ has done, in light of the fact that there is no longer somebody who has to go in and give sacrifices for us that actually don't wipe away sins at all, but once and for all, the Lamb of God has come in his body as the veil has been ripped into pieces 
as payment for our sins. I'm going to lean into that a little bit more in a minute because I think we need to really understand that. In 2020, I want you to be smacking condemnation all over the place. And we got to understand what Jesus did to do that, right? But Christ, the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, has broken away any separation. We're right here with God. Right? We're the temple he lives in now. And he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does that mean? Y'all hear that? I'm going to say it real quick for you, real, real fast, because this is usually, we'll be like, that sounds so cute, whatever, and skip over it. But this is, this is it right here. It says, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pu with pure water. It's kind of making this kind of symbolism to the idea of baptism. And when we do baptism, the, the, the symbolism is that we are now one with the Lord, right? That we go under and we come up and everything is washed away, right? That we are, we, are, we are being made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is just a declaration that is a symbolism of the work. But what he's saying right now, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In a little while, we're going to take communion, our last communion of the year. And often, back in the day, when I used to be in my old church, I thought, I thought, getting my heart true and my heart being sprinkled clean looked like me sitting right before communion. Okay, what have I done? Let me, okay, can't go up here dirty. It's the holy feast right here. I got to get right. I got to get right. What did I do? Oh, Christ. yeah, I had that thought the other day. God, I'm sorry about that. Sorry about, like, that, that used to be how I functioned. This assurance is about getting our eyes on the work of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done. The fact that his blood made us clean. That's how you get ready for communion. You lean into full faith into the work of Christ. The fact that it actually relieves you from condemnation, right? That there is nothing you can actually offer here to make yourself worthy to come to the feasting table of the Lord. The fact that we get the relish in the fact that we're even actually invited. The fact that you even have a desire to do so is not even a virtue of yours. It's something that God gifts to you. Like you weren't even cute enough to be like, you know, I think God is a good, the concept is good. It seems strong. The sun comes up. And like whatever little foolish stuff that in your flesh you could garner up to make yourself feel like you are righteous in, 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 inside of this whole circumstance of being a follower of Jesus, it's all false. So this assurance is about completely leaning all the way in to the work of Jesus Christ. The full assurance of our faith, right? With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That divide, that divide, the thing that, that, that is an issue, the only block from you and the table and that, and that feast with the Lord is you thinking that you could actually do something to make you worthy enough to have that feast. That's it. 
That's what's problematic. That's what's problematic. And verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. It means don't back off of what we believe. In 2020, what I'm telling you, get rooted. Do not back off of what we believe. Do not back off of the promises of God. For he who promises faithful. Don't step back. Don't dance with other ideologies. We've become, we've become so consumeristic that every time people feel like people start moving like they're woke, but they're just buying whatever the new movement is. Can, can we keep it real for a minute? Like, and, 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 and then start moving around like, yo, I'm keeping it real. But like, yo, actually just buying whatever's floating next. Whatever Instagram has got popping, this theme that's getting worked. And believe me, marketing works. People put trillions of dollars into it because it works. But we're not of this world. Our hearts aren't supposed to blow in the breeze. The hope of the ungodly is not our hope. So we need to not waver in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to not waver in resting in the work of Christ. In verse 24 he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If, if you wanna just throw a word on this right here, he's talking about a culture. Right? He's talking about being rooted in Christ. He's talking about being rooted in the church, the body. He's talking about being rooted in community. Stir one another up to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. This erodes. This togetherness, this unity, it begins to erode when people start have, stop having faith in the gospel, when they start wavering, right? It's hard to actually, you know, one of the things we say in this church, we always talk about as being family. It's something we say by faith. I know it doesn't always feel that way, but God is actually better than us. He's bigger than us. He's actually sanctifying us. So it'd be foolish for us to think that we just pop in here with, with, with our, our ways and different things or whatever and different cultural differences and that everything is just kumbaya straight, over, straight off. That'd be absolutely foolish, practically. But spiritually, we do worship together. So in a sense, we do sing kumbaya together. But when we do it, we're not singing it to ourselves and our own virtues. We're singing it to the King of kings and Lord of lords who's doing something beyond anything our flesh could accomplish, despite us. Y'all get where I'm coming from? That's what we lean into. That's what we don't waver against. That's the hope. We're not brothers and sisters because we're brother and sisterly all the time. We're brothers and sisters because the blood of Jesus purchased us. And it's certain That gonna make me throw my computer, man. <laughs> Romans 15, 13 says this. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
you may abound in hope. These aren't just little cute words that go on a Hallmark card every Christmas. This is actually the power of God. Our joy and peace are rooted in our believing. Once the believing, once we start wavering, right? Once we stop wavering, when we stop leaning into the assurance of the work of Christ and start tainting that with something else, joy and peace goes. I'm not saying, he's not saying, if you're with me, you will never endure storms or suffering because his word says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. He's saying in the midst of the storm, I will be your joy and your peace. While you are in pain, Jay, you will still be snickering and have joy because of what's to come, because you have a new body coming. You get where I'm coming from? When you are looking at the world and you're looking at whether, whether it's the political landscape, where it's your, your neighbor, where it's your own family betraying you, God has a, he has a plan for that called Jesus. So there's joy even in the midst of that, right? That's what he's telling us. I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going I'm to wrap it up. I, 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 want you to have a, I want you to have a strong understanding of faith and hope as it plays um, it out in our life and how that power works in us and, and how we go. I want you to just be encouraged to go into 2020 with that. But I want to get on this thing about condemnation and how it plays its work as well, right? And so I want to encourage you in this. This is Romans 7, 14, right? Paul says this. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. I'm just stating a disclaimer. You will get confused during this text. I'm just letting you know. All right? Just think of Stevie's Wonder Song, Do I Do, and it'll come together. Anyway, y'all missed that. All right. He says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. This is Paul, the, the, the spiritual giant who penned much of the, the New Testament. This is the statement he's saying, right? And I'm, I'm, pressing, this, I'm pressing this point because I believe that we as Christians too often get slapped around by the desires and appetites of our flesh, and then we kind of stand to the side and look at it like, who is that? Like, I'm better than that. No, you're not. Jesus is better than that. But I, I want you to find peace in, peace in that, right? Because Paul has made this peace in it, and I want you to catch it. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. He makes a distinction, right? There's this another part of me that is flesh, there's nothing good in that part of me. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I'm going to read this part for you really quick. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, now if I do, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Once again, he's making a distinction for the flesh, right? The sin that dwells within him. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, right? Which is the power of God, the spirit of God, right? 
Holy Spirit working inside of him, giving him even a craving or appetite for, right, for, for goodness or for rightness or to, 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 to actually love God, right? He says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I'm going to keep reading, but this is what I want you to understand about this. Paul is making this distinction, like there is, there is the, the gift that God has given us by Jesus, through Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? And it's affection and yearning and desire is for God and the things of God. Y'all with me so far? Then there's your body, and your body is desperately wicked and depraved. Are y'all with me? Right? So you got this functionally happening at the same time inside of you, right? You ever wake up in the morning, you're like, God, I just feel like, I feel like I just need you this morning. Like, Lord, I, 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 just, I, I need to be in worship. I feel like I need it. And then this other side of you is like, yo, that Netflix joint you've been on is crazy. You can sit here and just eat cookies and milk all morning long and limp. You... You deserve it. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that joint kicks in. Like, it's like, what the, like, you literally start feeling like you're schizophrenic, right? You could be like, God, you know, Lord, please forgive me, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I forgive me. I just, I looked at somebody the wrong way. I shouldn't have looked at them lustfully or whatever. And then get up from praying and be like, Dang, son. That joint is schizophrenic out here. I'm just keeping it real. It's schizophrenic. Paul's admitting to it. Most of us don't live like we know this to be the case. We act as if there is something that dwells good in our flesh, and we're surprised when it doesn't act good. That is a recipe for Satan to take advantage of of you and condemn you and separate you from the things of God. When we talk about this, this confession of hope without wavering, it's hard to be confessing hope when Satan's in your ear like, you're a scumbag. I know what you did last summer, in your ear with condemnation all the time, right? And Paul is saying like, yeah, this thing is this thing is happening. This thing is, this sin is dwelling in my members. There is this law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive the sin that dwells in my members. And then in verse 24, he says this thing right here. And I want you to carry it with you going forward, especially into this new year. When we cross over, take this thing with you, all right? It says, wretched man that I am. There's the admission. He's not, he, he didn't say, you know, person that I am that messes up every now and then. I'm, nobody's perfect. Wretched man that I am. And then he asks the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? He is putting himself in the, the crosshairs of what do I do with this? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Grace and mercy has no place without the wretchedness of your flesh. You get where I'm coming from? It's obsolete. 
it becomes obsolete. God, I don't need your grace and mercy for what I can accomplish on my own. I don't need the sacrifice of your son if he, if he died to remove my sins. If I can remove my own sins, then I'm good. You understand where I'm coming from? So we actually, we actually get caught in Satan's game of actually fighting our wretchedness and trying to sanitize it. And it takes our eyes off of what Christ has already done and puts us on work mode. Right? Let me tell you about the future hope in the middle of this particular predicament. The future hope that lands in the middle of that particular predicament. When sin shows itself to be present. Because there is no divide between us and God and nobody has to go in for us. We can go straight to God in the worst moment, in the most wretched action, in the most wretched thought. And we can actually thank the Lord that he has actually washed our sins away. Not when you conjure up a feeling good enough later on. Because it doesn't, it doesn't exist. The blood of Jesus actually is full in full effect in that very moment. He's a present help. And the future promise is this right here. One day, one day, we will never be captivated by sinful things. We'll never betray the, the confidence of our spouses with secret things in our heart. One day, we will never betray our friendships by picking ourselves and being selfish. One day, we will never lean into the idolatry of working ourselves half to death because we got to get it done and not resting in the work of Jesus Christ. That is a future hope that is actually present for us right now. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? That's what Paul is talking about right now. Who's going who's to do something with all this? Because it's real. He's keeping it realer than most of us will. This thing is wretched. Who's going to do something about this? What is my answer for this? How am I supposed to sleep at night with all of this, with, 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 this, with flesh that wars to have its own way and do its own thing? How do I get some rest at night? Jesus. He's already won. He's already wiped away all your sins, Right? Hebrews 10, and I'm going to end with this right here. Hebrews 10, 14 says this right here. It says, for by, a, for by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You get the rest in that. Perfected for all time. I know it makes no sense. He has perfected you. Your flesh is your flesh, and it's going to be a done away with. It does what it does, right? And, you're only, and the only power that you will overcome that thing with in the moment is in leaning into the work of Jesus Christ. It's the only power you have. In verse 15, it says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So church, I end with that right there, and I end with this encouragement for 2020. Let's lean in. Let's get rooted in Christ. Let's lean into believing, to not wavering in our hope. And, um, and y'all stand. Let's pray. Let's get ready to take this communion.
Thank you, Father. God, we just praise you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness, Father. God, as we come before you to take communion today, we relish in what you have done for us through Jesus, Father, the gift you have given us. We thank you, Father, Lord, that the sins of the flesh are no effect for us, Father, Lord, because Jesus has laid himself down as an offering once and for all for us. It makes no sense to our flesh, and we can only grasp it by the power of your spirit that you have gifted to us, Lord. But Father, I pray that you would empower us to relish in Jesus' sacrificial work, that today when we come forward to take this communion this morning, Father Lord, that we will come with boldness because of what Jesus has done and not by any merit of our own, not by any earnings or any work or anything that we think that we have to offer. But we would come with contrite hearts knowing that whatever wretchedness we can grasp in our mind, we're a million times off the mark on it. And when it comes to the beauty of the righteousness you have given us, Father, we're a million miles off the mark of it, Father Lord. But we don't hold this thing together by our realization of how good you are. We hold, you hold it together by giving us a realization, by waking us up in the morning, bringing us here, Father Lord. So we cast ourselves on you, Father Lord, as our only hope. As our only hope, Father Lord. I thank you for our church. I thank you for this year, 2019, we've had together. I thank you for our struggles, for our hardships, for um, everything. Father, you know better than us. Our church isn't led with great ideas and great concepts. We go forward by being poor before you and needing you and letting you guide us, Father. So give us more of that as we go into this new year. Help us lean in and trust more. Help us to get out of the way and hear from you. Help us to love each other, Father Lord, and, 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 and not waver in our hope, Father Lord, and not to neglect um, the relationships we have here and, and encouraging our brothers and sisters. So, Lord, we just praise you. We thank you, Father. We glorify you in our worship this morning. And we glorify you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>